Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. I'm Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And, uh, you know, Julie, I was just thinking the other day about how we're just approaching 50 years of humans going into the space. Right. Like, I think uh, you know, it's like like the next April, I think, is the uh, is, is when we'll reach that point. 50 years of humans blasting up on the, uh, the tip of control explosions uh, into orbit, hanging out in microgravity, and then coming back. And, uh, and, and I was in, in, in researching what we we're going to talk about today, I was, I was thinking, what if everybody who had come back from space, uh, came back, like just completely changed in, in terms of their, their, their mental, um, you know, outlook on life and the universe. Right. Um, to, to the point where it was just like you had space people returning to the planet. Well, and, you know, my question is, aren't they completely changed? I mean, wouldn't they just be inherently changed from that experience well, on I, some level? I think they, they generally are. I mean, you, you hear people talk about, uh, like I was talking to one of the Virgin Galactic dudes about the whole cell on Virgin Galactic, which of course Virgin Galactic is the uh, the space tourist thing that's going to eventually start here. Right. Richard Branson's brainchild. Yeah, I and, like how you just drop it. Yeah, I was just talking to like the Virgin well, Galactic guy, you know. Well, not, well, I should, I should, uh, I should, uh, yeah. I was talking I about was, my seat on the flight. <laughs> All right, I was not talking to Richard, just one of Richard's. Okay, uh, all right, Richard's just to guys. clarify. Yeah, it was for an article. It wasn't like we weren't hanging out, you know. All right, but um, uh, but but it, I was asking him, like, you know, about the cell uh, of you know shooting people into space and and whether the uh, what they were they were offering was gonna you know really please people or or if people would be like, whoa, what was that? That was whack. I was totally I thought I was gonna have a little more of a space experience there. But right, these but, seats are awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he was like, no, it's gonna, it's gonna deliver. And because people go into space and when they go into space, that's something they talk about for the rest of their lives. Like it becomes this defining, uh, experience. Right. So, defining moment of their, their life story. So yeah. So I think on one level, yes, it does change people. But, uh, but the big thing we're going to talk about today is the, is this thing called the overview effect, which, uh, Entails, or at least, or at least, it implies that there are greater changes going on in, uh, in, in at least the human outlook. Right, and this is a relatively new term, right? The overview effect. Right. It was uh, described by Frank White, I believe, mm-hmm. and he was talking about this this um, common thread that runs through astronauts and their experience when they're out in space and they just kind of look over their shoulder, or maybe they're making a repair or something, or. They're spacewalking. Yeah, doing and, Mad Libs or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> just just as you would be doing um, on the moon. And they happen to look over at Earth, and they it, they're just blown away in this sense of euphoria. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm picturing like a double take. You know, it's like all right, preparing repairing the moon buggy, repairing the moon buggy, and then you sort of glance and you're like, huh? Well, and then it just all sinks in. Right, all right. And for a couple of these astronauts, it's been completely life changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's made them reconsider humanity, our role um, on the Earth and in the universe, and some interesting things have come out of that. Yeah, there's a if, if you back up a little bit to uh, uh, to the 1950s, uh, early 1950s, even uh, they had uh, you had psychologists studying uh, aviation pilots. And they they had something already called the breakaway effect, and uh, and uh, and this was just generally solo pilots flying at high altitudes having this experience where they're they they're just like like whoa they feel this strange feeling of detachment from from the earth, um, 
you know, like I say, generally during solo missions, and it's kind of this spiritual sensation. Yeah. Well, and I think um, th- to me the the most interesting part of this is is astronaut Edgar Mitchell, mm-hmm. and he described his his feelings about the experience, which are really beautiful if mm-hmm. you think about it. He said that he was basically overwhelmed by the experience. He became profoundly aware that each and every atom in the universe was connected in some way. And on seeing Earth from space, he had an understanding that all humans, animals, and systems were a part of the same thing, a synergistic whole. It was an interconnected euphoria. Wow. Yeah. Interconnected euphoria sounds... uh that sounds pretty intense. Yeah. So you look at that experience and, and you start to consider it. And as scientists and neuroscientists are starting to look at it and and you think, OK, well, what happened right before they had that euphoric experience? Mm-hmm. What are what are astronauts, spacewalkers? What are these people experiencing, during, you know, yeah. preceding that very moment? Well, like even the uh, just the, the pilots and, to, and airplanes that aren't even going into space. I mean, yeah. they're. You're probably pulling some serious G's and then you're, you're looking out at, you know, perhaps the, you know, even the curvature of the earth or something. And, uh, I mean, even those guys were like, they were using language like, oh, I felt like a god or I felt like I was king of the earth mm-hmm. or, or even this weird thing where they were like, I wanted to just fly on forever. I didn't, you know, care if there was any fuel, you know, so, so, but then taking it uh, to the, uh, so they had like a Thelma and Louise moment. Yeah. Yeah. Where they just you know, wanted just, to just, we'll just drive off the cliff of the universe. Right off the cliff. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, so when you're going into space, though, it's, it's that, uh, that more complicated a journey. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a lot more effort to actually, um, leave the atmosphere. So, uh, so yeah, the experiences of getting there, um, are, are definitely a little more taxing. Yeah. So, I mean, you have written about this before in a blog post about how being out in space kind of makes you a little bit cranky. Yeah. And you talked about stage one. Yeah, stage one is uh is uh, pretty cool. Uh, well, I mean they, they're all kind of cool and kind of frightening, um, but uh, but stage stage one is basically like a twenty six percent drop in sleep efficiency, greater reduced uh, rapid eye movement, and uh, and and essentially you have dream deprivation. So uh, you, you start feeling uncomfortable. You start feeling sluggish in your work. You know, it's like if you stay up all night and you know pull an all nighter, then try to go to work the next day. Right. You know, you're gonna feel a little slow. You're you may feel you know a little cranky even. And, uh, it's like the beginning of a road trip. Yeah. And plus you're in space now where suddenly your sense of night and day is totally screwed up. Mm-hmm. Sleeping is a different uh, ordeal. Your stomach's all, you know, messed up. You're having to take, you're probably having to take a little medication here and there to, uh, to regulate what's night and what's day. Right. You're like the Elvis of the cosmos. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. On your space toilet. <laughs> Which you hopefully get off of. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically you're just sort of, Trying to acclimate to the atmosphere you're in, the environment you're in, the people you're with. And then stage two, that's sort of like the honeymoon period, right? Yeah. Generally, this is about six weeks into a mission and you hit your stride. Um, and, uh, and, it, and you, you generally going to have six additional weeks of having it all figured out. You got it, you know, you got your patterns down, your stomach, I guess, has, uh, has settled out a little and is not going crazy at every little thing. You're, you know, you, you figured out the, the most efficient way to go to the restroom, or I don't know, maybe you're, you're still in a mode where you can hold it. I don't know how, how right. long, uh, you know, a human can actually, um, uh, hold out, but, uh, if, if you really wanted to, maybe 12, 12 weeks, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that would be uncomfortable, I would say. Yes. That'd make me cranky. And then stage three, you start 
kind of sniping with each other, right? The honeymoon's over, your your crew members, your fellow crew members are driving you nuts. Yeah, this is like I think like hour five of a of a terrestrial uh car trip, you okay. know, road trip. You know, where where suddenly everybody's a little been cramped up a little too long. You're you're getting a little uh little short with everyone. Right. You want to listen to your music. Yeah. And a lot Dang of this it. they say is linked to uh, to boredom and isolation, obviously. Right. You know. And uh, uh but some of the stuff was really interesting. They said that uh, uh some of the studies I was looking at, uh, they said that you could uh, you'd have, you know, increased sensitivity to loud noises, changes in musical preference. So huh. I guess suddenly like you're looking at your iPod and it's like, what was I thinking bringing all this ACDC up here? All I want to do is listen to pure moods. And you're like, right. I left or Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, I mean, this is a great reason to make sure that your MP3 player is loaded down. Right. Like, don't don't just put on all the rockin' music you're going to need for those first twelve weeks. Uh, you know, you're going to want to be prepared for the for maybe a little calmer listening later on. Yeah, bring some backup. Yeah. And then you've got stage four, right? So, and, and by the way, so just to recap it, you've got fatigue, stress, you're feeling a little bit lonely, sensory deprivation, mm-hmm. you've got some bone mass loss going on. Yeah. Right. Um, poor oxygen at, at certain times. Yes. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they have, uh, sensors to regulate that, but, uh, yeah. but you're, you're probably encountering some, some poor o- oxygen from time to time. Uh, you're also, you can only clean yourself. So my, I mean, I don't know about the, the rest of you people out there, but, uh, if, uh, like camping for me is kind of an ordeal because if I go like a day without taking a shower, I just feel like I'm doing something wrong. Really? Yeah. Like okay. in the summer, I'll take two or three if I can get away with it in a day. I know wow. that's not good for my skin, but man, there's nothing like a shower to like just change your outlook on life. I guess that means I would be well suited to space travel. Oh yeah. I don't mind the funk. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's a warning to others. Well, that's the thing. It's, you know, you're going to have how, you know, a, a number of people in a, in a, in a very enclosed environment all, uh, using their funk as a warning to right. the, uh, see, this is why <laughs> this might be ideal for me. Ideal. Well, a solo mission, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. You're right. Uh, but so all these things are happening and, uh, and then I kind of look at what stage four as sort of the extreme teenage mode where you just get super cranky because <laughs> you know that the thing's going to come to a close pretty soon. Mm-hmm. But is this also when euphoria might set in? Yeah. This is when you start getting this, uh, this one final symptom and it is, uh, quote, prevailing feelings of euphoria. This is, uh, this this is a you know we're getting into the into the overview effect territory here. This is linked to multiple uh, accounts from astronauts uh, of of how their their mental uh, state is gone uh, throughout a mission because uh, you know NASA um, you know any of these space programs they're, they're very interested in the, the mental uh, right. shape of their their astronauts uh, before during and after a trip. And so this is an established pattern right here. So I think that's interesting to know that you have to undergo all these different. Uh, See changes in yourself yeah. before you get to experience euphoria. I think that gives us a clue. Yeah, it's kind of like um, uh, my wife and I often will try and make uh, this uh, Friday evening relaxation yoga thing, and uh, and it's generally I'm just exceedingly cranky when I get there because I've just got just gotten home from working, you know, and she's just gotten home and. We're, we're putting off having dinner till after yoga. So we're maybe a little, uh, what I think is, is known in scientific circles as hangry. 
This is when you're both hungry. <laughs> you're you're angry, but it's due to uh, to hunger issues. Right. Your blood sugar levels are nuts. Yeah. So we're a little hangry. Uh, we just you know we've just been running nonstop, and now we're at yoga, and you know we get in there. And granted, there's you know some calming music and all, but then it's you know start getting into uncomfortable poses. And and then this just makes me crankier. And then there's a karate uh, lesson going on in the room next to us. So it's like I can't <laughs> relax with karate going on next door. But then eventually, at the very end, after all this like karate and and and, uh, and and yoga, it's like we start doing the relaxation mode. Like I guess like an hour and a half in, and then then you can actually relax. So I, I kind of get that impression from from going into space at the, at the long end of this arduous process. Suddenly, all this insight insight starts happening. So it's sort of like a release. Yeah, is, is your hypothesis? That's, well, sort of. That's sort of my hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah, but like uh, ESA uh, NASA reports, they document this and they refer to uh, this uh, feeling as quote uh, is giving one quote new insights into the meaning of life and the unity of mankind. Right, yeah. and that th- th- those are the implications that. Some people are trying to apply to humanity as a whole in a certain way, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But um, I think that we want to look maybe a little bit more at this feeling of euphoria and mm-hmm. question a little bit more, especially since you've already kind of talked about this this release aspect of it. Right. And the fact that it is a pattern at that, you know, it happens after the following steps. So you got to wonder if if the euphoric feeling that they're experiencing isn't necessarily something from beyond them, mm-hmm. which is some, usually the case that they feel like this is um, not God so much, but some, a force outside of themselves that's that's acting on them right. is the general impression that I get. Yeah. So you got to kind of wonder if if this isn't coming from inside. Um, if you look at their brain, has it changed a little bit? Um, are they having this experience because of all those different conditions that we talked about. Yeah, like uh, like one thing that uh, that I uh, found out when I was uh, researching this is that uh, if you go, uh, you know, it's like space is traveling, you know, when you go into space, you're traveling into an extreme environment, mm-hmm. a very hostile environment, one where humans cannot really live unless they bring little encapsulations of their own environment up with them. The same is true of the deep ocean, where we have two uh, different um, um Effects going on. There's uh, there's one effect uh, called uh, rapture of the deep, uh, also more commonly known, I guess, as uh, nitrogen narcosis, and this uh, starts uh, hitting people at around 100 feet below sea level. It's also known as the martini effect because the idea is that you start feeling the effects of one drink for every 33 feet below 65 feet. Ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's like it's been described as like as a as a beer buzz. Okay. That you experience, um, and then another deep sea. Um, a condition that is often encountered or occasionally encountered anyway is a uh, hydrogen narcosis. And this occurs if you, uh, in some people, if you hit a thousand feet below sea level for, uh, five minutes or more. And with this, you can get hallucinations, uh, disorientation, confusion. Um, and, and again, these are, these are very much, uh, you know, due to, uh, uh physiological, uh, conditions. Right. So it could have, it could be a neurological event. Right. Uh, Brown University, for instance, had a, uh, they conducted a four year study where they gauge the possible effects of thin air on astronauts by studying climbers uh, who are ascending Mount Everest, which Mount Everest is another one of these conditions, these uh, situations where you're you're entering a dangerous and extreme environment that people really, you know, nobody 
health-wise, nobody should really go to the top of Mount Everest. It's right. Some, it's it's not not a good place when Unless it comes to air quality. Unless you're Sherpa and you've been in that environment and you've been doing it as a young child and your lungs yeah, are gigantic. Yeah, you've been lugging up like IMAX cameras your whole right. life and, and, you know, all sorts of stuff so that some, uh, you know, some American dude from uh, Vermont can stand on the top of the mountain and pretend he did it all himself. Right. Yeah, and then he's like, carry me down, I can't breathe. But... Um, Get the picture, hurry. <laughs> But they, they found that low oxygen environments can damage, uh, both the brains, uh, uh, and I'm gonna say this completely wrong, I'm sure, globus, uh, pilatus, which controls subconscious voluntary movements. Okay. Um, and, uh, and even the, the hippocampus. So the climbers in the study exhibited, ended up exhibiting decreased, um, cognitive capacity. Um, sentence comprehension fell off during the ascent. And, uh, one climber, uh, noted in the 2004 report, um, even fell to his death two days after being advised of his condition. So again, it's like suddenly your, um, you know, your voluntary, uh, your subconscious voluntary movements are taking a hit. Mm-hmm. Not an ideal situation while you're climbing Mount Everest. No, that's right. not where you want to be in in the old mountain game. And then there was a 2008 study in the European Journal of Neurology. And uh, they concluded that extremely high-altitude exposures can uh, permanently damage brain regions involved in motor activity. Okay. So, uh, so you know, based, uh, based on these studies, um, you know, p- people at NASA, ESA, et cetera, are, are really into the idea of having uh, and, and, and of keeping these, uh, uh, you know, atmospheric monitors to keep an, uh, an eye on oxygen levels. Right. Because just as you don't want decreased subconscious voluntary movements, uh while you're climbing a mountain, you also mm-hmm. don't want it like while you're on a spacewalk or while you're trying to like, you know, do some experiment about tiny screws. Right. And you also don't want people to go nuts up there too. So I'm right. sure that they've got vested interest in making sure that everybody is psychologically safe. And, mm-hmm. um, in fact, don't they have the, some sort of virtual psychologist oh, uh, yes, yes. program? Yeah. Well, yeah. They've been working on it it's because they, w- they would really like if you've seen the movie Moon, I don't know if you've, I haven't seen that. Okay. Well, the movie Moon, uh, which stars Sam Rockwell. Has this comp- this uh, robot uh, computer voiced by uh, Kevin Spacey that kind of checks in with him and sees how and you know finds out how he's doing emotionally and mentally uh, throughout the picture, and that's exactly the kind of thing NASA has been looking at. Uh, and it would it would it would basically be kind of like uh, you know these little personality tests you take online. Yeah, it'd be kind of like that. You take that every few days, and then the, the computer monitors uh, you to see if uh, you're starting to exhibit signs of craziness. Okay. I can't help but think of like 2001 and like having Hal as yeah. your as your psychologist. You know, uh, hopefully that wouldn't happen. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, well hopefully the computer would not yeah go crazy. Yeah, it and start just messing with you. Yeah. You're not feeling so great, <laughs> are you? Um, okay, so I think all of these things are kind of spelling out something um, about maybe it being more of an internal thing, even though the hopes. Are that it, it would be this euphoric feeling might be some sort of universal truth about our unitedness uh, as humanity, so right? To speak. Yeah, not like, so eloquently, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think uh, on one level, there's often a tendency to to equate it more with you know just sort of spiritual awakening, but I think as we've examined here, there's definitely a biological side to it. Again, right. End of a grueling trip in an extreme environment. Possibly some oxygen issues going on. And then there's just the, there's just the, the blatant fact that's easy to, to overlook here. You're in space looking at the earth. Right. You, this is. It's going to mess with you. Yeah. It's an incredible experience by all accounts. Right. It's, it's something that you 
can't really comprehend, right? Yeah, like I mean, what's it's, it's outside of our understanding, right? Like, like you yourself, have, have you ever encountered, like, just seen a sight, uh, you know, be it a you know a breathtaking vista or you know or, or something in the sky that's just really just blown your mind? Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the Grand Canyon. I'm not trying to belittle the experience by saying it's mm-hmm. like the Grand Canyon because, I, like we. You just said, I mean, it's, it's beyond, you know, our understandings and you, and you see something like that. You see the earth from a distance like that and you see the weather patterns, patterns going on. You must be like, Oh my God, this, this thing is beautiful. And that's why astronauts like fall in love. They go gaga over earth right. and just start thinking, Oh, we're all one. But, you know, just on a smaller scale, I think about the Grand Canyon and mm-hmm. you look at it and it's, if it's something that you've never seen before, a geological structure like that, then all of a sudden you have a completely different understanding of the, the, the earth underneath your feet and and you start to sort of reconsider the way at least that was my experience being there is is understand um humanity a little bit different or even it just gives you a historical perspective yeah like i think even like take city dwellers for instance i think any even uh you know, we can get a slice of that cake just by going, suddenly finding, going out to a, um, a rural, uh, setting or, you know, going out into a, uh, some sort of a national park, uh, environment and suddenly you're just an entirely different environment and you can be like, whoa, look at this. There's nature happening all around me and I've, you know, it's, and you can suddenly feel this oneness with the, with this, uh, the, the biodiversity and the system that's uh, branching out all around you. Yeah. I also think too about how, and you and I had talked about this before about how sometimes you can come back from space and you don't have that euphoric feeling. In fact, you feel anxious and fearful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the studies by uh, NASA, ESA, etc. They uh, they also recognize that some people came back feeling a little freaked out by the whole experience. Yeah, and it kind of makes me think of um, LSD and tripping. Yeah, you hear it's you know it's kind of like you have the uh, the classic uh, stories, uh, the, especially the ones that were. Uh, were, uh, that showed up in different films aimed at young people in the 60s where people freak out and, you know, try and force themselves through a keyhole or <laughs> jump out of a window. And then you have... Pl- or peel themselves because they think they're an orange. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. And then the uh, the other sort of traditional, um, you know, hippie sort of thing where people, you know, take this and then feel totally in touch with the universe. Right. The doors of perception fly open. Yeah. And you're suddenly you're Terrence McKenna. Yeah. And you're... Uh, <laughs> You're communing with aliens and so on and now, so forth. Now, speaking of aliens, um, I mean, that's the thing. Sometimes you come back from, uh, from, from space and you experience the overview effect and you, uh, you found, uh, what kind of sounds like a religion, right? Yeah. Sometimes you do. Yeah. That's, and perhaps that's the hinky part of it, right? Yeah. Tell us about, uh, about this. All right. So you come back and your name is Edgar Mitchell. Uh huh. And you had that experience that we talked about, um, where he was basically saying he felt this oneness and you feel like you've got to do something about it. And so you start uh, noetic science or, or what it would be the seeds for noetic science, which I think is the Institute of Noetic Sciences, I believe. Yeah. And you really try to take that philosophy, that overwhelming feeling that we all are part of one system and apply it to human consciousness mm-hmm. by using science. So, it's interesting. It's a great proposition. I mean, who wouldn't want us to all become better human beings yeah, through... It, it's a great message. Yeah. The problem is, I think that, you know, I, I know, uh, <laughs> is that some of the, some of the studies that they're carrying out, you have to be a little bit skeptical about. And that would be like healing through distances, for instance. So if, you know, I've got 
cancer and I've got a group of Buddhist monks praying for me on the other side of the ocean, um, that might somehow affect my ability to heal myself. Well, that's a little bit of a specious argument. You know, it's, um, that's where you kind of look at the message and you think, eh, okay. Love the message, but I'm not sure that we can actually translate this into stuff that's going to be practical for us. Right. Or certainly if it's a, even if it's a, you know, a great practical, uh, message, it doesn't mean we necessarily need to prop it up with science. I mean, science, uh, I mean, it's when things are kind of like of a spiritual religious nature, I'm more of the mindset, like, don't try and prove that with science. I mean, you've, it's its own thing. Right. Yeah. Embrace it for what it is and yeah. just say, you know what? It, I mean, it not this, that, not that it was a uh, personal experience. Right. Make no mistake though. I'm, I'm totally fine with, uh, with scientific, uh, explorations of religious claims. Sure. It's, that's totally valid. Yeah. And I think, uh, you and I discussed this before too, that it seems like this is such a personal perspective mm-hmm. that it's hard to create something so personal when through one, one's own filter and apply it in a universal way. Right. But, you know, I think that it's really interesting what they're trying to explore with this. And in fact, Andy Newberg, uh, he's a neuroscientist and he's got some experience in space medicine. He's hoping to find out whether there is an actual psychological phenomenon by scanning the brain pre and post space travel. So I don't, I haven't been able to find any follow up information on that, whether or not he's been successful in doing so. But I think that's the, the first line of trying to apply some science to it to see what is actually mm-hmm. happening in the brain. Well, it seems, it seems perfectly valid because, uh, you know, we've discussed before how like taking, having a year of piano lessons can uh, can change your brain yeah you know so if uh, piano lessons can <laughs> can change your brain which I, and I took piano lessons and I remember very little of it uh, I imagine something as memorable as a trip uh, into orbit would uh, would rearrange your thinking a bit oh yeah change yeah. you forever um, and then do you also have the overview effect Institute and they they actually want to try to reproduce this at a level that everybody could experience it so um, they're kind of thinking about it as some some sort of video iPod-like device that could deliver a dose of overview effect huh. and let everyone experience that euphoria. So just like it'd be kind of like watching 2001 on IMAX or something. That's their whole thing. Perhaps. Or, or trying to maybe recreate that, that sense of wonder and uh, that sort of, again, that... that Oceanic feeling of oneness. Huh. Which I, I, I would sign up for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if it you could induce that. Good. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. Yeah, I can't help but wonder uh, if if we reach the point where uh, where we decide, yeah, sending people into space uh, totally changes the way you look at the world, makes you a more spiritual person or something. Uh, you know, might we reach the point where we're taking criminals and miscreants, and instead of sending them into prisons or even uh, like you know terrestrial rehabilitation programs, we just start shooting them into space? I mean, not I mean, men bringing them back. That's key. <laughs> but but yeah, shooting them up uh, on cool. Virgin Galactic, you know, uh, you know. Eight at a time, they all come back and they're instantly enlightened. So did I don't you, think that'll happen, but I, it's a beautiful idea. Did you talk to Richard Branson's guy about that? I did not. I, I should have asked him. This is, I wish I'd, I'd thought to. I could have been like, hey, are there any plans to, uh, to fill any of these early flights up with, uh, with murderers? And they would have probably said no. Probably not. Yeah. I think they'd have to change the name. Yeah. Too. I don't, you know, Virgin Galactic 
miscreants. Yeah, because I because I imagine the you know the early flights are all going to be you know celebrities and you know self made uh, uh, millionaires and billionaires. So okay, they're probably so, not going to want to sit next to uh, people uh, that are in chains. Well, so that's kind of not fair. Do they do they uh, all get to be shot up into space and then become enlightened? Is that is that what we're? I'm hoping for. To? Like I'm really, you know, they don't they don't release the info about who has uh, has purchased tickets unless right. the person who's purchased the ticket or reserved the tickets is actually outspoken about it. And I really am looking forward to the first um, uh, rapper hip hop artist that goes into space, experiences the overview effect, and then comes back and shares that with the world uh, through music. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be the best rap. Yeah, ever. I'm really hoping it's ludicrous. So, ludicrous, but, yeah. if, you're, if you're listening. Book that flight, man. That's right, man. <laughs> oh, okay, so do we have any listener mail? Seems like our inbox has been busy lately. Uh, yes, I received a, a cool email from a listener by the name of Anne, and uh, she had a, a few thoughts about our um, our uh, our podcast, uh, Our uh, Creatures Are Sleeping, which uh, dealt with uh, you know, everything from unihemispheric sleep to uh, what our cats are, are doing uh, when they're laying there in funny shapes. And uh, and she uh, point, uh, pointed out, she said, quote, uh, if you haven't checked out Mike Brabriglia's um, interview on NPR, and she gave a link, uh, he, uh, he has rapid eye movement behavior disorder and once ran out of a second story window of a hotel while asleep. He's also a great comedian and just wrote a book called Sleepwalk With Me and Other Painfully True Stories. And I don't um, I don't know if you've listened to Mike Brabriglia any? No. Okay. He's but that a- is awful. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> It's comedy gold, but it's awful. Yeah, it's worth. He's worth looking up. He also has been featured on the Moth podcast, okay. which is like storytelling, yep. uh, you know, situations, and uh, and I'm and I think also on This American Life, but um, but yeah, he suffers from this, uh, this really kind of horrible sleep um, uh, disturbance and uh, and has a. A humorous outlook on it, even though he's doing things like leaping through glass windows and and having to explain to hotel clerks that he's quote like the Hulk, uh, <laughs> and, and then getting checked into the, the hospital and all. But uh, but I, I found that amusing, and uh, so I, I thank uh, Anne for bringing that to our attention. Uh, also received some cool uh, thoughts about our uh, Inside Out People uh, podcast mm-hmm. where we discussed aversion, uh, uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, we had uh, a listener by the name of Keith who uh, pointed out that there's a, um, a Mythbusters episode on differential pressure and diving suits. So that's worth uh, checking out if you want a little more uh, things or people possibly, but not really turning inside out. And uh, and we also discussed cartoons, right? And how I was a little shocked that there were so many like children's cartoons where people um, or animals turn inside out. Yeah, where or, your fear yeah. of be turn, being turned inside out was manifested. Yeah, and we had um, a listener by the name of Brad who uh, who pointed out on our Facebook page that uh, in SpongeBob SquarePants there is a character named Squidward, and he becomes turned in, uh, inside out at, at one point. And uh, the, the interesting thing about this is the creator of SpongeBob is uh, he has a background in marine biology. So it makes total sense that that would pop up at some point uh, during that show's long run. Right. Because, as we discussed in the podcast, things uh, that live in uh, the ocean are just always uh, everting themselves. Like sea cucumbers who have 900 or no, like a thousand haiku dedicated to them. Yes. In Japanese culture. Sharks that vomit up their stomach like like somebody turning their pocket inside out to get a little rid of lint. So anyway, uh, if you want to point anything out to us on Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at both places as Blow the Mind. 
And speaking of sea creatures, uh, we are still getting our sea legs as a podcast, as stuff to blow your mind. So please share your thoughts with us. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. <laughs> 